two of your most exciting disciplines. First one, prayer. That's usually pretty excited. There is a, a, a commentary on the church at large, not Crossroads, but the church globally. The prayer is one of the most talked about things and one of the least done things. Okay, we don't want that to be true. We want to talk about and do it. But the second one is such an American thing, fasting. I know everybody's excited about fasting. Now, fasting has actually gained some, you know, momentum in the last decade or so in the health world for intermittent fasting and things like that because fasting is healthy for you. You will find out that almost everything, well, not almost everything God asks you to do has a benefit in this life and in the life to come. So we're going to talk about uh, prayer and fasting. Now, the interesting thing about these spiritual disciplines is that we're actually going to work. We're going to work on our spiritual life. So, I don't want you to confuse that with I'm working on being saved. I'm going to earn my salvation. It's not what we're talking about. We're also not talking about um, I'm going to earn some extra credit points with God. You know, if I do these spiritual uh, disciplines, I'll earn some extra credit, and then I'll, you know, I'll get some extra things from God. That's not how that works in, either. And by the way, if there's an extra water around, somebody bring one, preferably not one you've been drinking on, but if there's a, you know, a water around, I'm, I'm getting dry here. Um, so, yeah, that's fine. We'll just send some help. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's fine. Um, spiritual disciplines, probably the closest thing we can get to that is uh, in 1 uh, Timothy 4, 7, uh, we don't have an overhead for that. We've talked about it a lot. Paul told Timothy, his young apprentice, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Now, the New American Standard says, says interestingly, it says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So you're training yourself, you're disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, if we don't understand the value of this, we're really short-sighted and we don't really know the scripture well because there's this mentality among people, sadly even among people who attend church that, ah, you know, being a Christian and the church thing is a substandard way to live, uh, especially there's lots of people, I'm serious, you go out and start sharing your heart with, about Jesus with people and you'll find there's a lot of people out there who go, hey, I believe in Jesus and I, I want to have eternal life and I want to go to heaven, but I've got so much living to do right now. You know, we feel like to, to uh, become a Christian and serve God would be like a damper, a downer on our spiritual life. Thank you very much. And, but that shows how little we know. Because remember what Jesus said? He's the ultimate truth teller. Jesus said this, one of the reasons I came is that you might have life and have it to its fullest measure. That you might have life and have it overflowing. And even Paul tells Timothy here, because, you know, most of us don't get excited about disciplining ourselves, but he said, Timothy, I want you to know something. Physical exercise is of some value. Physical exercise has value here on planet Earth. It has some value. But godliness, if you exercise yourself unto godliness, it has value in everything, in this life and in the life to come. So it has value in your relationships, value in your health, value in your spirituality, value in your school, value in your... It has value in everything because that's what God said. It is valuable in everything now in this life and in the life to come. So I want to define spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are like biblical practices that we impose upon ourselves. So they're not, they're not things that um, Crossroads is imposing upon you. We talked about having a prospective membership once. You don't come to that and go, here's the rules of what you must do if you want to be a member. Here's, here's these spiritual disciplines you must do. Nobody's imposing them upon you. Even God himself doesn't impose these on you. He, he doesn't say, 
you have to do these things or you're going to get it. Or you have to do these things or you won't have eternal life. We do these things because they help us grow in our relationship with God. So we end up living a blessed life here on planet Earth. And not always as the world thinks blessed, but a blessed life here on planet Earth. And we enjoy this rich relationship with Jesus, which is invaluable. And so we impose upon ourselves these practices that make us spiritually fit and healthy. So we want to be spiritually fit and healthy. We don't want to just kind of limp along. We want to be spiritually fit and healthy. So we put these, these criteria on ourselves so we can grow and be everything that God has called us to be. And we can enjoy the Lord. Now, earlier this year, I taught a series on prayer. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the prayer topic today. A little bit, but not a whole lot. And if you want a refresher on that, or maybe this is your first time you're ever here, and I said I didn't hear the series, uh, on February 7th of this year, 2021, there's one of my messages is uh, prayer. I think it's called Prayer, God is Always Near. That would be a real good one to listen to if you say, I missed the whole prayer series. You can listen to all of them, but that's on, on our website, which our website is incrossroads.org. It's got to be around here on something or out in the foyers, you know, little handouts with our, our email address or our website address, incrossroads.org. Click on sermons. Think you got to go to page two, and you'll find that sermon on prayer. God is always near. So check that out if you need a, an update on prayer. Well, earlier this year, I read a book. The book was okay. Uh, I mean, you've read books like that. It's okay. You weren't sad you read it, but it wasn't like, oh my gosh, you all have to read this. But I love the title. What pulled me in was the title. The title is this, Prayer, the Mightiest Force in the World. Prayer, the Mightiest Force in the World. It really is a good book, and it really does explain how prayer is the mightiest force in the world. But I want you to know this. If we really believe prayer is the mightiest force in the world, if we really believe prayer makes a difference, if we really believe prayer brings a transformation in us and in others that we're praying for, then we're going to be people of prayer. We're going to learn to pray. And so we want to talk about prayer today. And Jesus did a great job as he was asked about prayer. Now you find the story about Jesus asking about prayer in Luke 11 and Matthew 6. So I've kind of merged the two because there's, there's points in both that I like to look at. And in Luke chapter 11... Uh, it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, it's interesting because I want you to know a little background. All the disciples of Jesus were Jews. They were Jewish men who had been trained in prayer. Their parents trained them in prayer. Their rabbis trained them in prayer. I will promise you that the person who asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, like John taught his disciples, had prayed a thousand times or more. But I also think that as he observed Jesus, he went, that's different than what I do. That's, there's something powerful and impactful about the way he prayers, prays versus the way I was taught to pray and trained to pray. So he said, teach us to pray. And so Jesus said, okay. And he said, this then is how you should pray. Now, if you've never been in church before, you've probably heard this line. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right? You've heard that, that before. Well, we mentioned, we spent a little time on this, that the, the literal Greek says, our Father in the heavens. And if you go to an English literal Bible, that literal Bibles are not real fun to read. They're real jerky, but they're, and choppy. 
but they just are literally translating the Greek words, and they will say, our Father in the heavens. So here's a way you can pray, and this is what Jesus was teaching. Our Father, who is always nearby. Or how about this? This would be a very uh, well-translated Greek passage on this. Our Father, who is present with me now. When you pray, pray like that. Our Father, dear Father, who you are present with me now. Why is this important? Because we think of God being up there in heaven somewhere, right? And if I can learn the magic formula for prayer, if I can say the right words, take the right posture, use the right phrases, have the right right tone to my voice or whatever, then maybe my prayer can meander its way through the cosmos and find its way to God's inbox. And then I can get my prayer to God. But take all that out of your mind because you're praying to the God who is present, the God who is here, the one of whom in Philippians 4, when it talks about prayer, says, let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. The one who's called himself Jehovah, I think it's Jehovah Shema, which, which stands for, I sometimes get them confused, that the Lord is near, the Lord who is present, the Lord who is here. And so he's the God who's here. And so when we pray, I don't want to make it complicated. I don't want to dissect it. I just want us to think about any kind of conversation with God, to God. Let's think of that as prayer. And so we're going before God to talk with God, a God who loves us, a God who's ever-present, a God who's nearby, a God to whom we are able to bring any of our requests or concerns or whatever. We can bring anything and everything to God. And so God's challenging us to pray. Now, in that series, I taught this because Jesus said it, that when we pray, the God who sees in secret rewards us. Once you know, there's a reward, the Bible says, to prayer. There's another passage where it says that those who diligently seek God, that God's a rewarder of them. He rewards those who diligently seek him. So there's a reward. Now, do we go to prayer just because there's a reward? No. But I do want to say this. God almost always hooks a reward for doing something spiritual. So he must not mind us being motivated by a reward, as long as the reward doesn't just become our God, but there's a blessing to doing what God calls us to do. And so as we talk with God, we're having prayer. Now, for those of you that might be here today and say, I have no idea, I've never prayed before, don't know how to pray, don't know where to start, here's a neat little acronym called ACTS. This is, you won't find this in the Bible Uh, But every letter of the word A-C-T-S stands for something in prayer. And maybe you want to do something a little different in your prayer life, and you can say, well, let's, let's try this. The A stands for adoration, which Jesus said, Our Father who is in the heavens, hallowed, holy are you, I adore you. So you can start your prayer if you're saying, I have no idea how to start your prayer. You say, I think I want to do something different. You can start your prayer with adoration, with praise, with worship. You're just telling God you are amazing, you're awesome. If you just start thinking about his attributes, it will break into adoration and praise and worship. And so then the second thing is we confess. Now, we always think of confessing as confessing our sins, which is part of it. Confess. We have this beautiful passage in the Bible. Our God's so good. He, listen to what he says. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. To what? To forgive us of our sins, which I think would be fine if we stopped right there, but God never stops there. He always adds more. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Do you catch a glimpse at the heart of God? Because we think when we sin, God says, I'm going to get them. I'm going to smash them. I'm going to hurt them. I'm going to do whatever. But he's poised as this forgiving, loving God. Does he want us to sin? Absolutely not. I'm not promoting sin. I'm not wanting you to be soft on sin. I'm just telling you that God's quick to want to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, all shame, all regret, all remorse. He wants to cleanse us from those things. So that's that's a part of confession. But there's another part of confession I think we often overlook, and that's that we confess the word of God over ourselves. What does God's word say? I prayed for a person this morning. Uh, Jim Burden actually is going to preach at a place this morning uh, who's one of our members here, and he's going to preach at a homecoming. He called me this morning and said, would you say a prayer for me? And I, I confessed the word of God over them. The, the Bible says this. Sometimes we say, Lord, give me an anointing. And I'm not opposed to that prayer, but you know what the Bible actually says? If you're a believer, you have an anointing that abides in you by the Holy Spirit. So I confess that over him. And then he's getting ready to preach and teach. So instead of saying, Lord, help him to do it well, I said, Lord, your word says that if anyone preaches or teaches, let him do it as the mouthpiece or oracle or representative of God. So I confess that over him. And I confess this over him. In the same passage, if anyone ministers, let him minister in the ability which God gives. So we can also confess things like, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I can't do this on my own. Lord, those are confessions. I confess, Lord God, I need your help. I confess that today I want to be used by you. Those are wonderful confessions as well. T is thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. We could go on and on about that. You know how to give thanks. Also, the S is supplication. It's not a word we use a whole lot. To supplicate means to ask or request. So in this particular form of prayer, we save our asking and requesting for the end. So it's a great little approach to prayer if you want to mix up your prayer life or if you don't know anything about prayer, here it is. Now people ask, uh, how long should I do it? I don't know. If you've never prayed before and you came to me and said, this past week I've got up every morning and I've spent 60 seconds with God in prayer. You know what I would say? Keep going. Go God. Way to go. I would not say only 60 seconds. 60, great. You went from zero to 60 seconds. That's progress. It might turn into five minutes or 15 minutes or 30 minutes. And then one day it might turn into whatever it needs to be. You might one day say, I'm going to set aside 30 minutes for prayer. And at 22 minutes you go, we're done. You ever have a conversation like that? You thought it was going to go an hour, it went a half hour? Or maybe if time permits, you say, I thought it was going to be 30 minutes, I needed an hour with God. Now, if time doesn't permit, in the real world, we say, hey, this conversation's not over. i got to go to work or do this, but let's follow up on it. So you, there's no rule on timelines. So there's a couple approaches to prayer. There's probably more than that, but here's two I want us to focus on for this week. The, the first one's what I call focused prayer. Now, focused prayer is, takes a little more energy because on focused prayer, on the two approaches to prayer, Focus prayers where prayer is the activity alone. Do we have a slide for that? Prayer is the activity alone. So that's focus prayer. What I mean by that? You're not eating breakfast and praying. You're not on the treadmill and praying. You're not on Facebook and praying. You're not watching TV and praying. You actually have set aside some time for prayer, specifically for prayer. You will be shocked at how your mind wants to wander everywhere. You will have to train yourself, as Paul told Timothy, train yourself to keep your mind focused on prayer. God knows that. 
He's compassionate. He will help us. Now, that's focus prayer. I want to suggest that every one of us have a time slot in our life somewhere, and I don't know if it's going to move around on you or not, but every day you spend some time in focus prayer. How long? I don't know. Just set aside some time. Now, you say, so you don't want me praying on the treadmill. You don't want me to pray in while I'm eating breakfast. You don't want me praying while I'm watching TV. No, you, I want you to do all that, too. That's why I call lifestyle prayer. Lifestyle prayer, you just have a, a lifestyle of praying. You get up in the morning, you're talking with God. You're having breakfast, you're talking with God. You're getting on the bus, you're talking with God. You're driving to work, you're talking with God. You get on the bus, you see somebody, you think, oh, I know they're going through a hard time. And you just say a little prayer for them. You hear an ambulance. Probably I bet there's a high percentage of people here that when you hear an ambulance, you go into prayer. I was lifelined by a helicopter once, and they fly right over our house. And so I'd look up all the time, say prayer for people who are either going to get picked up or getting delivered or whatever. It, that's lifestyle prayer. You, you get ready, you go into school, you think, man, I got a math test today. I do, really do want to say this, I mean this. Study, okay? Prayer, prayer, isn't, uh, prayer isn't bailing you out of your lack of discipline to study. Study but you can ask God to help you. I need some help. You're going into work. You're dealing with the project that's over your head. You need help. Ask God. You got a, a co-worker or a classmate that's a thorn in your flesh. You pray. That's lifestyle prayer. You're just praying as you're going through the day. Both of those are important, but I want to encourage us, let's implement both of them into our lives. I don't know about you, but I'm constantly praying for people just walking down the sidewalk. I'm not walking, they're walking. I'm driving by and I look over, see somebody walking, and I'll just lift them up to the Lord in prayer. Just lifestyle pray, just pray. It's a great discipline to learn to pray. Focused and lifestyle. Focused will be your hardest, so set aside some time. You'll have to keep reeling your mind in. You say, how do you know that? Because I'm just like you. You know, you get up, you sit down, you go, Lord, I just want to spend some time with you in prayer right now. I mean, I got that appointment at 10 o'clock this morning. I need, oh, oh, hold on. No, I got, Lord, I want to spend some time with prayer. You know, five minutes later, you're still, Lord, I want to spend some time in prayer because you keep grabbing your mind and bringing it in, but that's okay. Keep doing that and keep practicing that. So, now I'm going to move into fasting. Again, every American's favorite topic, fasting. My children used to come to me at times and say, what are we going to eat? We're starving. I'd say, first of all, you're not starving. Second of all, one of my kids reminded me of this. Remember, you used to tell us this, Dad. Second of all, I'm not even sure you've ever experienced genuine stomach hunger, okay? Because in America, there's so much food everywhere, we're like eating all the time. So I'm not even sure. You probably felt a growl, or you probably felt a desire for something, but most of us, because we're blessed, we've never... We've never been starving, and, and rarely do we even experience, I'm serious about this, genuine stomach hunger, because we'll keep throwing food in there to make sure that wouldn't happen. And so when we talk about fasting, we're going, wow, this is, this is kind of crazy, because I'm going to define fasting for you. It is voluntarily abstaining from food. How crazy is that? You mean you're going to choose not to eat something? That's wild. Voluntarily abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Fasting has been practiced, actually it's practiced in any religion you can find all over the world. For as far back as you can find anything, fasting has been part of a religious practice. Now, I'm serious about this. There are some of you who, who are what I heard a lady call thin eater. You're, you eat till you're satisfied and, and you're done. That's crazy to me, okay? 
I remember I was eating with a buddy of mine who's like that, and so when he was done, and I said, time out. You, you done with that cheeseburger? Because I'm not. If you're, now I'm done with it. You done with those french fries? Okay, hey, you know, we'll take care of those for you. And so that's the way most Americans live. And so to voluntarily abstain, it might be a fast for us, just I'm not going to eat anything on anybody else's plate. You know, that could be, a, that could be our first breakthrough. I'm just going to eat what's on mine. It's like, you're going to eat that? You're going to eat that? So it's abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. So the first question we should probably ask is, is, is fasting biblical? And then once we discover if something's biblical, because we know this in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, there's lots of things that they practice that we do not practice, nor are we told to as Gentile believers in Christ. So even if I could build a case for an Old Testament, I want to say, is it, is it New Testament? Is it Christian? And uh, I'm going through a book called Hunger for God, and the first half of the book is all about just, you know, put, putting out there the truth that, that fasting is Christian and New Testament. I don't think it takes half a book to do that, so we're not going to spend that much time on it. We're just going to look at a couple of scriptures here. In Matthew 9, 14 and 15. Then John's disciples came and asked him, that's Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, what? Often. But your disciples do not fast. I don't know if he was mad, or hey, I want to join your crew. You know, because John's making us fast all the time, and your disciples don't fast. And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? One of the purposes, not entirely, but one of the reasons people fasted, if you'll read the Hebrew scriptures, is they were mourning over the sin or the, the mess of their nation or over their own lives. So here he says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? So Jesus is identifying himself as the bridegroom, the groom. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will what? They will fast. Then they will fast. Now, another passage from Jesus in Matthew 6, 16 through 18, starts off with the word when. It didn't say if or if you do. And there may be some things where we would say that. If you ever do this, then here's a pattern to follow. But he did. He said, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. Don't look somber. Don't look sad. Don't look down. They're wanting to do that, it says. They disfigure their faces to show that they are fasting. Like, like we could do that. Say we go into a, a, we're not fasting, but say we're disgruntled and we want people to know it. You know what I mean? Then your face and your body action will show that. So you're just waiting for somebody to say, what's wrong? Oh, finally, somebody asks what's wrong. So these hypocrites are like, what's wrong? You say, oh, I'm fasting. I just love God so much. I'm fasting. I'm such a spiritual giant. I'm fasting. And it says that's what they're doing. And it says they want people to look at them. And once people have looked at them and said, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. That's what they wanted. That's what they got. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Now, I want to pause here because we are, we, some of us can become very legalistic. And we, we now think we found a rule. If I got to fast, what kind of oil do I have to put on my head? I mean, is it olive oil? Is it 10W30? I mean, what is it that I, I, it says I have to put oil on my head and wash my face? 
Well, what he's saying, this is what you'll discover, is whatever you do to get ready, get ready. And make yourself look like you would on any other day. And that would have been the Jewish custom, put some fragrant oil on you or some, and wash your face. Do that, so verse 18, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will what? Reward you. Now I also want to get away from superstitious things. For instance, there will be people that know that you fast. If you have supper together as a family every night and one of you is fasting, they're going to wonder why isn't mom or dad or one of the kids eating? They always eat. And you may say, well, I'm, I've, I've dedicated a fast to the Lord. Now, if you're doing that just to be seen, then you've got your reward, but most of the time we're not. I have people, we used to have, there was a, a kind of a superstition that came through, not among the whole church, but years ago that somebody would come up for prayer and they'd say, how can I pray for you? What's your prayer need? And they'd say, I, I, I don't want to say. Why? Because they believe they'd be confessing something negative. I don't want to tell you that I'm sick. Okay, so now I don't even know how to pray for you. Do you need a job? Do you need whatever? And so I had to let people know. The Bible says, this, is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. So you're confessing I'm sick. That's my current condition. I don't want to stay that way. And here's what I need. I need prayer for health. So don't get all wigged out and superstitious about stuff. Somebody finds out you're fasting. It's not like, oh, my fast is ruined. No, we're just not broadcasting it to be seen to people. There are going to be people who know that you're fasting or know that you're praying. The Bible said we should pray in secret. Then God who sees what's done in secret will reward openly. But public prayer is biblical too. Jesus was praying in front of people when one of the disciples said, what you just did, what I just witnessed, we want to learn how to do that too. But he wasn't praying just to be seen of men. So, Jesus says here, two times, when you fast. When we look in the book of Acts, we see a Gentile, Cornelius, who was a Roman soldier, who was fasting and praying and had a heart after God. And he got an angelic visitation. That's a pretty nice reward. He got an angelic, vis an angelic visitation. He said, go send some of your people to get Peter to come here. He's going to tell you about this thing called salvation. And uh, Peter came, totally wigged Peter out because this is, we thought salvation was only for us Jews. And now we know that God shows no favoritism because they were all saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Revival broke out of Cornelius, the Gentile Roman. Oh my goodness, a Gentile Roman soldier had an outpouring of God on his household. But it was a result of his prayer and fasting that he got an angelic visitation. We also see that Paul and Barnabas fasted and prayed as they appointed elders in the churches they were planting all over the region. So they would fasted and prayed, and it wasn't a secret that they fasted and prayed. They fasted and prayed for guidance, for wisdom, for instruction. So we need to fast with a purpose in mind. The Bible doesn't encourage us just to go mindlessly without food for no intended purpose or for a hopeful outcome. So we want to, we want to fast and pray for purpose. So I want to Look at some things. Here's what Christian fasting is not, though. Christian fasting is not a hunger strike. And I'm going to go without food, and that will bully them into giving me whatever I want. Now, hunger strikes have been used for political purposes around the world. And sometimes people die because sometimes the, the powers to be couldn't care less. And sometimes it actually changes the course of something because of a hunger strike. But that's not what Christian fasting is. Christian fasting is not an activity that makes God do what we want him to do. Okay, when I fast, he'll have to answer my prayer. No, he won't. He doesn't have to. And the third one, this is the one I find most common, 
is people say, you know what, I'm going to go into a little fast because I've, I've been praying for something and I really want God to know I'm serious about this. Well, God knows whether you're serious or not. So fasting, it's not like God was like, oh my goodness, I, w- I wasn't even paying any attention to their prayer. But now if they added some fasting to it, well, my goodness, I wish you had done this earlier. I didn't know you were serious, but now I know you're serious. No, God knows whether you're serious or not. But we can add fasting for purpose. It gives purpose. Now, fasting without purpose, I can tell you what it does. It makes you hungry. And the other thing it generally does is it makes you grumpy. Okay, you're hungry and grumpy. And in fact, Isaiah says one time, hold it. What kind of fasting are you guys doing? Is it only a day for somebody to humble themselves so they look all sad and can get bragged on? It says your fasting ends with striking of wicked fists. That's a bunch of hungry people who are mad and angry and and I'm gone without food and I'm upset and they end up fighting. And they said, that's not the fast I've chosen. Then Isaiah talks about a fast that he has chosen. And the fast he's chosen in the Old Testament is just amazing. When you get to the end of it, it says, here's the kind of things I'm going to do when you fast right. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. I'm going to cause you to be a rebuilder of the broken down breaches and walls, the things that have fallen. I'm going to, there's all kinds of wonderful purposes to that. But I want to look on some purposes on fasting. I just listed eight here, so you, you might put several of them together when you fast. But the first one I put down is to build faith for effective ministry. Now, what does that mean, build faith for effective ministry? If you remember this Dad brought a son who had problems, which we probably would have thought was physical, but in this case it was demonic, and he brought him to the disciples, and he goes to Jesus and said, I brought my son to your disciples, they could not heal him. And so Jesus said, bring bring him to me, and he looks out and starts out his discourse with, you wicked, perverse, and faithless people. What a bunch of faithless people. Bring him to me. He casts the demon out of him, he's healed. Disciples go to Jesus and say, why couldn't we heal him? Now listen to the answer, don't get confused. Why couldn't we heal him? And Jesus said, because you're unbelieving. Because you have no faith. That's why you couldn't do it, period. That's the end of the discussion there. That's why. But then Jesus does go on to say, Howbeit this kind cometh not out, but by prayer and fasting, the King James says in other translations. Many translations leave off fasting. You don't have to consider them demonic because they left off fasting because most reliable translations don't have the word fasting there. But since Jesus taught fasting, I think it's fine to leave it there. Albeit this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. Now, if the demon was, was controlled by faith, in other words, the demon didn't say, I got to leave because this, this dude fasted for 40 days. He's got a fasting badge on. He's earned his fasting badge, so now I have to obey. No, it was faith. But it makes sense to me as a thinking person that if faith is what gives authority over Satan and the demonic, then when Jesus said this kind coming out, out but by prayer and fasting, then prayer and fasting must be an avenue whereby we can build our faith. We can get strong in the Lord. And so prayer and fasting can give you the faith to minister effectively to other people as well as to your own life. Fasting can be for wisdom, direction, and guidance, just like we saw with Paul and Barnabas. It can be for we're sorry for sin, personal or national sin. You can fast for deliverance or protection. You'll see that in the Old Testament, that people, an invading army would be coming, and they would fast for deliverance and protection. You can fast to overcome temptation. If you say, I just seem like, it seems like I can't get traction in getting success over this. You can pray and fast. You can express love and worship to God. 
You can humble yourself. Hold it, I've been full of pride. I've been thinking I could do life on my own terms. I know I'm a believer, but I need to humble myself before the Lord's time of prayer and fasting. And uh, the last one, which I think kind of intertwines into all of it, is that we strengthen our spirit and we weaken our flesh. What ends up happening is our flesh wants to rule our life. Mine and yours too. We all know that. And so our flesh has appetites and desires. And it wants to tell us what to do, when to do it, with whom to do it, you know, where, what, and all that. And your spirit man's the real you. Please hear this. Your spirit man is the real you. Your spirit man, your eternal spirit, especially as it's born again, has now become a new creation that is in partnership with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has brought salvation to your human spirit, which is eternal. When we do funerals, we leave a, a body, the flesh, in the grave, but that spirit person, the, the real you, goes on to be with the Lord. So what happens through prayer and fasting often is that we say, hold it, flesh, body, you're no longer going to boss me around and tell me what to do. I'm going to let my human spirit, born again by the Holy Spirit, be the lead. And that, that will cause tremendous growth in your life because most of us, even believers, are being led by our flesh, by what our body wants, when it wants, how it wants. So that's why you've met people, they've been, they're 30 years old in the Lord and they're grumpy and they're cantankerous and they're gossips and they're just, you think, well, what happened? They, they've been led for 30 years. I'm not saying they're not born again and going to heaven. They've been led for 30 years by whatever their flesh wanted. They got upset, well, they're going to pout. They got upset, they're going to have unforgiveness. They're upset, they're going to give you a piece of their mind. They're gonna, there's no concept except I'm being led by my flesh and fasting helps strengthen our spirit and weaken the flesh to where the flesh learns that it doesn't get to do whatever it wants to do whenever it wants to do it. You know, some of you, your, your flesh needs to learn it shouldn't say everything it wants to say. It needs, it needs to, you know, put a pause on it. And so when you, when you fast, you train your flesh. No, you don't always get what you want when you want it. Speaking of that, it reminds me of the Cheesecake Factory. I'm walking by the Cheesecake Factory, and they have on display a piece of carrot cake. I can tell you, I can be totally full, and I still want that carrot cake. My flesh says, give me that carrot cake. Now, my flesh is also saying, how can you put anything else in there? But then I saw something very alarming. It did some absolutely ridiculous, unless it was the law that they had to do this, this was the dumbest thing they ever did. They posted the calories. A piece of carrot cake at the Cheesecake Factory is like 1,875 calories. 1,875 calories. That's one-tenth of my daily calorie intake. So that, you know, you, you can't, that's way too much. Now, I think, I think, and I know this is silly that we say 2,000 calories is the daily intake because obviously somebody who's 250 pounds and works outside digging ditches and, and a young lady that's 90 pounds and works in the office have two different calorie intake needs. But, you know, the, the government says about 2,000 calories is what we need a day. Well, that's like one piece of cheesecake and a glass of milk and you're done, or not cheesecake, carrot cake, you're done for the day. But your flesh will go ahead and cry out for stuff even when it knows it doesn't need it and so it needs to be trained. Okay, so I want to talk about some fasts, some common fasts, and then we'll move move on here. But I want to talk about uncommon fasts. There are three 40-day fasts in the Bible recorded, and they were all super supernatural. So 
If you get excited about fasting, say, man, I, I'm going to go on a 40-day fast. I strongly advise against it. Um, Moses was in the presence of God. Now, not like we might leave church and go, wow, I really sense the presence of God. No, he was literally in the presence of God. Came off the mountain and his face was glowing with the glory of God. And for 40 days, he was in the presence of God and did not eat nor drink. I will promise you this, that will kill you in the natural. Elijah had an angel come and make him a meal. And he ran on the strength of that meal for 40 days. 40 days. That's a, that's a good meal. But that was an angelic meal given to Elijah. Jesus, God, clothed in human flesh, was taken into the desert by the Holy Spirit. And it, it's, it just says he didn't eat. It didn't say he did not drink. And when he was done with that fast, angels literally came to minister to him. Now, I want you to understand the difference between, wow, I, I think there were angels in our midst today versus angels showing up in the natural realm of ministering. So I'm not suggesting anybody go on a 40-day fast. Most fasts of the Bibles, in the Bible is one day. The Jewish people, remember the guy who bragged? I thank God I'm not like this guy over here. I fast twice a week. The Jewish people would fast if they were, you know, dedicated on the second and fifth day of the week, and it was from sunset to sunset. It was a 24-hour fast. So, you know, at sunset, they'd eat their last meal, the sun would set, and when the sun set the next day, they'd probably have something to eat afterwards, so it'd be a 24-hour fast, and they did that twice a week. If they were a good Jewish person, they'd follow that second and fifth day 24-hour fast. And it I, I'm almost always, I think, included beverage, water, just no food. Now, other fasts in the Bible, there are three-day fasts. The people of Nineveh, remember Jonah and Nineveh, there's a three-day fast. Queen Esther and the Jewish people were in great distress. They fasted for three days. Paul fasted for three days. Jonah fasted for three days. So there's, there's three-day fasts are in there. Most of those included water as well. A couple of them didn't, but most of them was, was just absence of food. Then we have what's partial fasts in the Bible. Uh, Daniel did a partial fast. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did a partial fast where they said, I'm not going to eat these certain things. I'm not going to eat the king's meat. I'm not going to eat these delicacies. I'm not going to eat these sweet treats. I'm not going to eat these things and did a partial fast. And so that's a, a biblical fast as well. Now, you have to be careful. You've got to be sincere with yourself because, you know, I could say, you know, some of you here say, I'm going to fast asparagus. Okay, well, you know, some of you, I actually like asparagus. I'm kind of friends with all food. But uh, that wouldn't be a fast for you. And so be honest with your partial fast. Now, there are other things that people do as fasting, which is not technically a biblical fast because fasting was always abstaining from food. But I want to say I support these things, and I think they are spiritually healthy. So there are spiritual disciplines we can do that aren't necessarily even found in scripture, but they're good for us. I'll tell you another one, journaling. There are many people, I'm not one of them, there are many people who really find spiritual refreshment and really grow in God by journaling. They journal their prayers, they journal their prayer requests. It's very, very enlightening to them and a blessing to them. I support that. There's nothing in scripture that violates it. Uh, but here's one that people do is they often fast something, like I'm going to give up television for a few days. Uh, I'm going to give up social media. I'm going to not do certain things I like to do and spend that time in prayer or meditation or study. I'm going to take some of that time with purpose and spend it with God. And I think that's very healthy. Uh, I, I remember one time I was speaking at a church and I was talking about how we consume way too much TV. And at that time, I don't even think we had a TV or anything in our house and we'd go through cycles. Um, 
And so I was speaking the next night, so somebody came in, the wife said, my husband took the TV, took it out in the yard, and bashed it to smithereens with a baseball bat. Well, I did not tell him to do that. I often wondered if next week they didn't buy a TV. You know how that goes, like, I'm motivated. Um, now, I'm not, you don't have to raise your hand if you've done this, but I talked to many of smokers who said, I'm not going to smoke anymore, and they throw their cigarettes out the window, and they stop at the next convenience store and buy a pack. You know what I mean? And I've actually talked to one and said, oh, I turned around. This is a pretty full pack. And I started looking around in the ditch, you know, to find that uh, pack of cigarettes. So we can get excited about something, but don't go bash up your TV or something and then have to buy it again a couple weeks later. But there are things we can set aside to spend with God that wouldn't hurt us at all. So here's a challenge for the week. Let's set aside some time for prayer and fasting. Now, maybe you're going to fast a meal. Maybe you're going to fast something particular that you often do that your flesh longs for, and you're going to train your flesh and work at training your flesh. And we have to be careful because the Bible says there's a point where you can do all this harsh tr treatment to your body and does nothing, you know, to really help you grow spiritually. So there's a balance to all of this. But we want to train ourselves. And even if your flesh doesn't get trained a lot, set that time aside Maybe you sit down and eat for 20 minutes. Set that 20 minutes aside if you're going to skip a meal and spend that time in study or in prayer or meditating on God. Now, I really do want you to be wise medically. Don't, don't fast if it's going to harm you. You know, if you say, I'm, I'm going to go on a three-day fast. My, my doctor tells me never skip a meal or I could die. Don't do it, okay? Don't do it. So be wise. But maybe you can skip something or maybe skipping a meal won't hurt you. Or, or maybe you're like some people... Seriously, in America, we are so blessed with food, I'm not joking. You, you know, you, you, you eat breakfast, and then you eat a brunch, and then you eat a lunch, and then you eat a mid-afternoon mini-meal, and then you eat, eat supper, and then you have a mid-evening supper. You know, maybe you can stop some of those things. By the way, I know some people say, well, you know, there's a, there's a theory that you should eat four or five small meals a day. Well, the key word there is small. So, you know, when, when we're eating five six-course meals a day, that's not good. So maybe you can cut out one of those and not hurt yourself physically. So let's set aside some time for prayer this week. And I'm, I'm talking about focused prayer. I, I don't care if it's 60 seconds. Set aside some focused time for prayer and begin to develop that habit. And then set aside some fasting. You know, use your good judgment and your common sense and ask the Lord and, and set aside, I'm going to set aside this meal or I'm going to set aside this midnight snack I take or whatever and I'm going to give my, that time to the Lord in prayer or in the word or in, in meditation. So carve out a reason why, that's a purpose, a why, and then carve out a how, and let's put prayer and fasting into our life.